Welcome to the New Space India podcast, a bi-weekly talk show that exclusively captures insightful conversations with people contributing to advancement of space activities in India. The New Space India podcast is pleased to announce our association with Dassault Systems, a global leader in providing business and people with collaborative virtual environments to imagine sustainable innovations. Dassault Systems Solutions supports startups small and medium sized enterprises and original equipment manufacturers in developing disruptive solutions for space launchers and satellite propulsion recently a supply chain digitization study with dassault systems was conducted to provide a foundational understanding of the supplier landscape in the indian space ecosystem please use the link in the description to download the public white paper of the results of this study which will also give you a perspective on how ready indian suppliers are to enter the global space market hi everyone this is the new space india podcast and uh, today we have uh, mr surendra m vedya who is the executive vice president and the business head for godrej aerospace uh, welcome to the show sir thank you so much so godrej has been a very big name of course associated with the indian space program and your contributions have been there for many many decades now uh, before we get to uh, godrej itself i want to learn about you know what got you into godrej and uh, what got you into the aerospace division and how godrej started the aerospace division and started collaborating with isro okay so thank you dr narayan let me start uh, with myself i think that will give uh, some uh, background of how i got into this aerospace i am a 1983 graduate from uh, iit mumbai iit bombay with uh, metallurgy as my subject and specialization in welding and that actually brought me into the fabrication area as uh, i decided that uh, use this welding knowledge what i got in the last one year of the graduation to uh, the little practical experience uh, what i will be able to correlate with and that is how i joined larson and tobro and got into various special fabrication areas I and mean, that's the time when uh, 83 larson tobro was looking for setting up uh, new facilities at hazira and uh, they wanted to start with the offshore platforms it was a very large yard what they took it and for the first time a new code a new set of materials new welding standards new fabrication standards were required to be studied because lasan tobro was earlier to that was into the pressure vessels and that gave me a exposure to various international ports because in india uh, by that time the ports were not established for the offshore platforms and this exposure to the international ports and the specifications plus i think the different materials because uh, most of our pressure vessels by that time we had not a technology to Set up these facilities uh, near uh, seashore. Most of our uh, refineries, petrochemical industries, they were deep inside uh, earth, and uh, most of them they were using the sweet water. But now the technology was changing, and uh, offshore platforms, as you know, they are have to be on the sea itself, on the ocean itself, and that's why these new materials were required to be studied. However, the working conditions that time at uh, Hazira Surat and the Surat city itself was not that good in eighty three eighty five. So 
started looking back once in uh, center of living will be really good you must uh, now uh, look into it in a little different fashion also i would say among the batch of 36 we passed out in 83 in the metallurgy we were the only four who stayed back in india otherwise all other 32 were uh, moved to us for doing higher studies or getting into that time i think the software was uh, at a peak so we started complaining ourselves had we made a mistake of staying back in mumbai in india and then uh, that to going into a remote place like hazira and surat which is not a very good city to live of course now situation has changed a lot and then we started looking back for opportunities and uh, godrej that time was entering into the pressure vessels and they wanted uh, uh, some good engineers to support them in welding and welding technology and that is how i got into the welding of uh, godrej pressure vessels that time we used to call that division as a godrej process equipment division now this is the same time in the 80s government of india department of space indian space research organization had concluded of their r&d and they were looking for private industries to come forward and participate in their manufacturing so that the r&d work can be done by the scientists rather than getting involved into keeping themselves into uh, busy in manufacturing now obvious choice was lassan tobro walchand nagar industries because they were experts in engineering at that time but at godrej we used to have very specialized knowledge in machining of very critical parts and components for our own tool room it was not that for we were doing it for anyone else we were doing it for our own uh, usage but uh, mr navroji godrej uh, father of our current chairman who was a chairman then he was very fond of uh, machines and uh, he used to really move across all over the world and whatever machines he will feel that these are the the best in class he will buy and position them in tool room so that our tools and that is how all our consumer products we started segregating ourselves from the rest of the consumer products whether it is locks or cupboards or refrigerators or any other consumer product you will see that the kind of finish we were getting the kind of accuracies we were getting kind of reliability which was there in our product that was quite different even in 80s uh, when technology of manufacturing was not that good as what we are having it today so as a result what happened uh, we started getting into very large number of complex capability machining as well as fabrication uh, machineries into godrej and boys now isra isro identified that they approached mr novel godrej and told him that since you have all this good machinery and understanding of what is precision and how to really make it on a mass scale we would be very happy in case godrej gets participated into the programs of national importance and especially the space program which is for peace not like the defense where uh, you may have lot of other uh, issues which are cropping up and then uh, he was taken across most of the facilities of uh, indian space department and he was thrilled that the kind of work which was done in the initial old days by uh, very limited resources I mean, india still has very limited resources as far as the uh, space or defense is concerned and those limited resources the kind of achievements our scientists has done uh, 
so he immediately on the spot uh, committed to the chairman professor u r rao and said that yes the only condition what he put is that we will require some hand holding because we are not really into uh, the aerospace or into a high technology engineering products we are into consumer products and we will require your hand holding and professor rao was very uh, gracious to he says ki yes i will ensure that at least uh, few of my scientists who are uh, good in manufacturing they will be positioned at your place till the time you feel confident that now you can run it on your own but when they came here and they found that uh, in the tool room we had no metallurgy uh, metallurgist no understanding of different materials and in the space programs we use exotic alloys whether it is aluminum or titanium or in nickel based alloys or even the various grades of steel but they exhibit very high strength because in uh, aerospace weight is the single most criteria for design it has to be as light as possible and it should be having very high corrosion it should have very high temperature withstanding properties it should be able to give a lot of toughness so this are possible only is uh, are uh, uh, using this exotic alloys and then when we started using this uh, isro started feeling that uh, that something is lagging i mean even though we started attempting machining we started attempting some specialized surface treatments it treatments and then uh, uh, tool room started hunting for uh, some support from the metallurgy and uh, since we were part of the same uh, group uh, immediately that information was uh, given to the process equipment division and then i was identified to go and uh, start helping tool room in making them understand these materials what are their characteristics what is their behavior and that helped me because uh, i had educational background which is uh, from the metallurgy the first four years i got into lassen tubro where i got into this uh, different materials how to study them how to characterize them because another difficulty in aerospace is even though we use very vast materials but nobody will share the actual physical characteristics you will come to know only few characteristics but not all of them you need to characterize all of them yourself and learn with your own experience no textbooks gives the kind of properties what are required beyond clearing the examination i mean you require a lot of other knowledge when you are actually going to start manufacturing the products and uh, articles out of it and that is how we started uh, a joint venture between the process equipment division and the tool room division to look into all the parts of uh, isro and then isro got a confidence and we developing parts in titanium and other exotic alloys uh their scientists were available we had our own experts in uh, various manufacturing processes i was contributing from uh, the metallurgical side and we uh, started developing those parts in the first year itself we made about uh, 25 30000 worth of parts i mean in 85 87 this uh, 25000 parts was also quite quite a large in numbers it was not only one or two parts as we will get it today we produced almost 200 parts very critical parts and all these parts when they uh, took it back to their facilities in trivandrum and bangalore they uh, assembled and found that the kind of tolerances the surface finish the accuracies we gave were very good 
and isro was very happy at the same time we were very happy that we didn't reject any of the material we could use whatever was given task to us we could make it and from a very traditional uh, consumer product to a high technology product the transition of at least this 200 parts was and then isro started giving us more and more efforts started building uh, parts of uh, slv and aslv at time these were the two launch vehicles the satellite vehicle and augmented satellite launch vehicles aslv and very complex uh, uh, machining processes were involved in addition to that when they visited our process equipment division where we had lots of welding technologies they offered us a lot of sheet metal and welded parts and then process equipment got into this business of uh, manufacturing the fabricated welded parts of uh, slv and aslv and in 89 isro had uh, a very big opportunity which came to india before that uh, if i take you back in eight between government of india and government of france there was an agreement and uh, a jointly developed about 40 scientists from isro were deputed to uh, france and uh, french scientists who were already deep into the space they started developing a liquid engine called viking engine when it was moved to india it, we started calling that as a vikas engine and that was planned for by us into the second stage of pslv and whereas in uh, european space agency they planned this viking engine in many of their missions like arian and other missions what they are using it uh, over there now of course uh, they have phased out this uh, viking engines vikas engines are still being used and uh, we have produced now more than 150 vikas engines but that engine was reported to be manufactured in full that means all more than 1000 parts of those engines are required to be made from the various raw materials like uh, uh, aluminum and uh, nickel based alloys and they had a very special alloy which was used in the entire thrust chamber uh, it was a cobalt based alloy and this is a very very tough material to uh, weld and uh, work upon but uh, once again uh, with our experience by that time into the space and uh, into manufacturing various pressure vessels for oil and refinery we could grasp that very well and we won that contract in competition with the other competitors where i worked earlier and the entire vikas engine was awarded to us in 1989 and uh, uh, there was a lot of uh, restrictions because uh, the government of india and uh, the drdo had their own uh, missile program and uh, fighter jet programs by that time and like isro they were also contemplating to identify private industries and use their skills so there was a international ban on india to import the critical machines which were required to manufacture those viking engines or vikas engines so we decided with our background of uh, godrej into the machine tools we decided to make all those critical machines in house and that was our first task to make all the critical machines the spms the special purpose machines and from there then move to developing various technologies once the infrastructure the resources are available we started developing into the the actual uh, parts but before that there was a technology development so it took us about 5 years and in 1st january 1994 we handed over our first completely indian built 
Viking engine or Vikas engine. And that underwent successfully all the ground tests. There are lots of ground tests which are required to be completed before you go on to the flight worthy certification. And those uh, certifications when uh, obtained, there was huge applaud uh, between uh, the ISRO, DRDO and all the aerospace community in India. And then Godrej was identified as one of the major partners to be with ISRO and DRDO. And then we started getting the cryogenic engines and so many other engines what ISRO were developing as well as from the defense side. And uh, then Agni, Prithvi, Tishul, Akash, Nag, all those IGMT programs and various other programs we started getting involved into it. So that's how the entire thing started. I mean, it was not really the intent of uh, Godrej, but we were identified by the customers to get into it. And from the day we got into it, we never looked back and we started understanding, learning all those uh, international core standards, ISRO standards and specifications into space programs, various materials, various manufacturing techniques, uh, heat treatment, surface treatment, specialized uh, non-destructive tests which are required to be conducted, all the simulations, uh, the accelerated test, because if you are making a part of a satellite, uh, it has to have, uh, in those days, we used to qualify them for seven years and 10 years. We have started qualifying those parts for 12 years and 15 years. So the technology is improving, the perfection in design, perfection in manufacturing has improved. And once we saw that uh, now things are well established, we started uh, getting into almost every program the ISRO and DRDO will come out. And then we had more than 400 to 500 different subsystems. Of course, till 2000 and on up to 2006, the numbers used to be very, very limited. I mean, if you make one engine in three years or four years, Israel used to be happy initially. Now the scale had changed. Scale had changed drastically, and now they're expecting us to produce about 20, 25 engines every year. So from one in three years or one in four years to uh, 25 engines in a year, that's a big uh, change in volume. And as now the private industries and the privatization of space is uh, going to take place, the government has already announced the policies and the two new companies are getting set. The rules and regulations are going to be out. I think the next uh, parliament, they are going to discuss about the space law. And if that gets into commission, I think uh, this numbers, what I just narrated, will also be looking very small. And what we are talking in a year now today, maybe it will be required every quarter or every month in the coming days. So I think uh, I took a little longer time to explain you uh, the answer for your first question, but uh, uh, I'll stop here. Uh, let us uh, continue with uh, what you want to know more. Otherwise, I can keep on talking like this for next two days. We have done so much of work. India has a huge history in development and uh, Godrej has been participating in it in the last more than 30 years. And I was there in every aspect of uh, right from the first stone when we laid out. Right. I mean, it's a fascinating introduction as such. So I appreciate that you took uh, some time explaining all of this. Uh, I want to talk to you about this initial collaboration or initial identification that uh, ISRO made with Kodrej and the initial days when you talked about how URRAW, you know, was involved in... Uh, uh, handling, you know, this collaboration and, and then placing metallurgical experts uh, from ISRO at uh, your facilities. 
so can you talk a little bit about what was the early days of collaboration how it evolved was it uh, also more than manpower and you know more than training of your own engineers maybe with the space based processes or reliability or quality standards was there also any capital support or equipment support or any other nature of support and uh, the nature of uh, how risk was handled because you know you're dealing with very high risk elements here uh, how the whole de-risking process or the risk and reliability was handled so i will uh, put your question into three or four segments i mean that way it will be very uh, easier for me to explain it to you as i uh, talked to you earlier uh, the first for uh, a company like godrej and boys by that time which was into the consumer product was to really have a transition from a very high volume production what we are doing it into a low technology to high technology and the production is more of a product oriented production rather than the process oriented production because you need to develop those parts and like we were making some 400 refrigerators in a shift so 400 refrigerators in 8 hours was something what i remember and then we were making 1200 typewriters in 8 hours and then some 600 cupboards in 8 hours so that kind of a volumes we were handling and all our uh, i mean the culture in the entire organization right from departments to individual manufacturing sales to the quality standards and to the procurement i mean every aspect of running a business was towards making this in larger numbers in larger scale and from there when you go and start talking that i am going to produce on the one part a day uh, i mean was very difficult for uh, the core team uh, i mean i was part of that core team to convince the other manufacturing people because it was not possible for us to justify having our own machines with such a low volume and the kind of revenue i was just talking i mean 20000 30000 was a revenue in a year so that is what we were getting isro was supplying raw materials because it was very difficult for us to procure raw materials in smaller quantities so government used to buy material in bulk and with the government to govern from russia from france and these are very classified specialized materials so nobody in the private sector will be able to even have access towards this material from the international market so the materials were bought by the government and they used to give material to us so our part was on the conversion and that is where the turnover used to be very very small the second aspect what you asked is uh, how they were really financially helping because in such a small numbers how do we justify investments whatever investments we are doing or whatever tools jigs fixtures are required for a manufacturing in aerospace it is not only the machinery which is important and critical but for every part if you want to achieve in those close tolerances and repeatability i think there is lot of emphasis is given and even today also it is true is on to development of tools jigs fixtures gauges templates because these are the tools which can give confidence to the operators and supervisors on the shop floor and the managers on the shop floor that what part i am going to make is going to really come out good and the materials are very expensive if you lose even in a lot of 25 one part means about 4% or 5% rejection is very very expensive because all these materials even today because we are heavily import dependent and they are very specially produced with lot of uh, 
uh, standards on cleanliness and uh, on their uh, uh, that means we don't use any material which is melted out of uh, the scrap these are all melted out of genuine ore and uh, from the prime materials so they are very expensive for example a typical stainless steel when we buy for utensils at home we buy it at about 200 rupees a kg but the same stainless steel grade wise it may be same 304 316 but when you buy it for aerospace you buy it at about 600 to 800 rupees a kg so this is only in stainless steel but when it comes to titanium it goes to 50000 60000 1 rupees a kg or something like that and that means you cannot afford to waste you cannot afford to reject any material you have to be 100% sure so that was the second training what isro gave us how to really bring in reliability into the processes what you will choose so that it's not the first time but every time your part has to be good you cannot simply afford to reject any part uh, there are two reasons one is i explained you about the material secondly the import of this material even though between government to government was easy but it used to take a very long time because it has to go through lots of procedures before it is being cleared by government of india and then when it goes to the ussr that time or the government of russia or the federation of russian and uh, and when it goes to the france there also once again the same way the the government approvals are required before the industry will supply it to you. so if you lose a material you have to wait for next 6 months to get back that material from the sources so how to bring that reliability and when you bring that reliability you need to understand the quality requirements very well so uh, what was to- uh, talked to us or what was taught to us the tolerance stacking you just don't get the tolerances in the last process of uh, your machine you have to start it right from the beginning really source the material what kind of a, uh, allowance you will keep it when you source the material how you start machining it at what stage you will do some kind of a stress leaving on that material so that the stresses will not show up as you start going into the next processes and then uh, how to really give the minimum fracturing forces and then how to use this gauges so you don't have to remove your uh, job from the machine before it is being uh, taken up for the final inspection and the important part is that uh, all parts should be inspected in free condition they should not be under any constraint when the parts are in free condition inspected and you are meeting the tolerance then only you are sure that when you are going to assemble those parts there will not be any internal stress and all this was required because if you have to make any part which is going to be uh, it's for a used on to the ground you have a very liberal tolerances as far as uh, your safety margins are concerned that means if you want by design calculation of one thickness for your table or chair or for your any other uh, equipment what you are going to do it if you take instead of 1 mm 3 mm only your weight is going to increase but there will not be any penalty on that but because you are going to use 3 mm then your manufacturing processes you create lot of tolerance on it they can be more forgiving a small defect can be accepted because you already padded up your thickness by 3 times so it can accommodate any defects in manufacturing but in space because weight is a constraint against 1 mm thickness 
with great difficulty we convince designers that we require something for manufacturing also to go wrong or for the calibrations of the machines to go wrong or between two machines and two equipments there cannot be exact similarity up to the last micron so they give about 20% or 30% that means against a 3 mm watt easily you will get it for equipment which is used on ground when you use it in space you get 1.1 or 1.3 mm thickness against 1 mm that means now you have to be very very vigilant when you are going to do on its manufacturing when you are going to bend it the thickness should not reduce when you are going to machine it you should not reduce any machining and the last important portion what isro brought to us is that we are not only going to look into the functional requirements we are also going to find out after achieving the functional requirements is there any material which is excess can i have some weight reduction pockets or weight reduction areas where i will scoop out the material reduce the weight of that particular part which is never done or never attempted in any of the equipments which are used at ground even for sea also uh, all these days now only the optimization has started for ships and other sea uh, uh, borne uh, vehicles which are being used there but for aerospace it is absolutely must to reduce, reduce on the weight so first to use very high strength low weight materials in addition to that by design you find out from where the material can be reduced and all this is going to put pressure on the manufacturing teams because with all those constraints you are now going to manufacture and achieve those critical tolerances so that was the second training which we got it that what are all the service conditions let's me uh, let me explain you about the service condition i mean the photograph uh, behind you uh, it's in space now whatever area which is facing sun is going to have something like 150 to 200 degrees plus centigrade that's the temperature which will be seen by that because we don't have in the space the ozone layer and the radiations are direct so the heat which gets accumulated on the surface which is facing the radiation goes up to 150 to 200 degrees centigrade but the one which is in the shadow exact at the back side of uh, this where there is no sunray which is directly going and hitting onto it is going to be exactly opposite it will be at minus 150 to 200 degree centigrade so that means on the same component you are going to have one side which is being seen at positive temperature and the other one is at negative temperature and the temperature difference between the two ends is going to be something like 200 to 400 degree celsius and that is where the designers have to use very specialized materials which has very low coefficient of expansion and which should have a very good temperature and physical properties against the temperature and when we are going to use parts into the rockets like the liquid engines what we produce and why this specialized materials are required to be used is where the actual burning is going to take place that is where the temperatures are going to be more than 3000 degrees centigrade so the material has to withstand that kind of a temperature on the skin whereas on the other side you can give a cooling or when it is in the space other side is going to be at minus 200 degree centigrade but such thermal shocks what are going to come we don't want any small smallest deviation also in the part which can create a problem to absorb such kind of a thermal shocks 
the vibrations a typical uh, automobile industry when they design their car against our normal 1g gravity when we walk when we sit into a car we go up to 4 or 5 and they design it to 8 to 10 times the gravity so that the car will be still stable even if we accelerate it at very high speeds or at very high accelerations to achieve from 0 to 6 so typically you see the advertisement in the the automobiles uh, sector that we achieve 0 to 60 kilometers per hour in just less than 15 seconds so that is actually going up to 4 to 6 uh, accelerations or 4 to 6 gravitational force but in space we are talking about supersonic speeds and that too also in a very short span and that is where we need to go from 6 to 8 gravitational force to 32 times the gravitational force and that requires once again lot of reverse calculations and existing tolerances to be reviewed that in extreme conditions of all these shocks vibrations bumps climatic conditions whatever may be the condition the material should be good enough the component should be rigid enough to sustain so that was the second thing the third aspect what isro taught us is the success how do we measure the success if we have a successful launch and we have a successful satellite any other vehicle you can assemble test it once again reopen it and make for yourself that yes i made these provisions assumptions whereas it is not showing like that here we are not going to get any part back on earth for us to study whether it is a success or a failure even if the mission is a failure it is going to go and make a big bump onto the earth or if it is going into the water still it is undergoing a huge shock so even if you are able to recover back this particular portion you are going to see it in a damaged condition so you really don't know what exactly happened during you fired the engine or when you operated a satellite we don't have still the reusable vehicles we don't have in india still the reusable satellites so that is where getting back data is impossible so the data only which is going to be available with you is the documents what you are going to generate as you are in process of manufacturing and where we give a huge importance in documenting each and every aspect of our manufacturing who made it on what day he made it which machine he used it what parameters were used what the machine or the instrument which was used for measuring and calibrating it and that record is going to later on give us the 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 success story or the failure or a setback to the analysis and we that to then improve upon and optimize on our various processes so the documentation portion which is neglected by most of other industries was the first important part what was required to be taught to a quality engineer that whatever you are going to inspect whatever you are going to see it you are going to document it and in those 80s we didn't had like today we have iot's and so many sensors and cameras and all that it was not possible everything to be written down we didn't had even the excel we didn't had a computer also to use so everything has to be written down and such huge pile up of documents 
are then required to be scrutinized before you can get a release note for shipping out that part from your operations to or your uh, workshops to the ISRO. And then when the ISRO will start assembling and when the ISRO is ready for the launch vehicle, such humongous documents which are being created are required to be studied by someone physically. So you require a lot of your correctness when you are going to write down and correctness when you are going to read and tabulate and then uh, compare and all that. So that was the same. The next point you asked about the infrastructure. I mean, uh, when justification for this infrastructure was not there because the volumes were limited. I think ISRO came forward and they used to support industry. Support industry in two ways. One is against the order, which used to be a very small value, but they used to give quite a good amount of advance so that you don't really put your own money and wait for 10 years and 12 years to have a recovery on that. So they will give you advance to make an investment. Secondly, they will also give uh, money for uh, making the project-specific investments, like all these tools, jigs, fixtures, special purpose machines. The general machines, which are used in any fabrication that was supposed to be the responsibility of industry to be bought. The area, the infrastructure that is specialized rooms of one lakh class, either cleanliness rooms or temperature controlled rooms. That was the requirement of industry to do it. So I will say it was like a 50-50% partnership. 50% will be invested by industry. 50% will be invested by ISRO. ISRO will invest into project-specific investment, whereas the industry will invest into a general purpose uh, machines and the infrastructure, which they can, if these attempts are not successful, can divert it into any other product. And ISRO was putting money from the project-specific in their developments as a part of their R&D. So that's how this entire thing started getting developed. And uh, it was a very good model. And uh, once they will identify a particular industry for a particular project, then they used to really handle it. I mean, I have seen as many as 25, 30 engineers used to be coming from Trivandrum, Bangalore, Ahmedabad, and various places wherever they had the expertise in manufacturing and uh, talking to our people because speaking in local language was very important. The operators, workers were not uh, very comfortable Today, most of our workers can 100% understand Hindi, and most of them also have computer knowledge. English is also quite well understood. They may not be able to speak, but they can understand. But that was not the case in 80s when we started operating it. So they used to get there who were available at various locations and come here and speak at least in Hindi, if not Marathi, which is a local language here. But that's how they really built it. And then the last phase came up where uh, we uh, were ready with the infrastructure, we were ready with the quality understandings, we were ready with uh, our initial qualifications, trainings, and station uh, of our facilities. And then they started bringing in the product knowledge. I mean, we never got involved into manufacturing a part. We always got involved into manufacturing a part which is going to take a satellite and which is going to get us uh, some kind of a benefit either by remote sensing or by communication or by water data and other things. So like, it's not, I'm cutting a stone, but I'm cutting a building a temple. So that kind of a culture they really brought in and everybody, everybody, every worker 
every supervisor, every manager, every general manager, and whosoever wanted to attend, uh, right from Chairman Isro and the directors of various uh, their laboratories, they used to come and explain us as to how the entire mechanism works and what is the criticality, why we are demanding so much of uh, quality and why we are demanding so much of alertness and attendance in you. So I think all these three, four aspects what ISRO brought in, that really helped us to learn, assimilate all that what they were trying to tell us. And then in the next phase, we started putting our own efforts in. As to now, ISRO has built the bare minimum what is required into the space. Now, how do we really use our knowledge of mass manufacturing or optimization, productivity, productionization, cutting down on the cost, and then how to become really competitive, not only in India, but in the international market. And that, I think the combination of uh, the ISRO's initial efforts and then the private industry's efforts of converting that into more efficient way of manufacturing and then giving them suggestions, improvements, that has really helped us to bring up to the current levels of our manufacturing. And uh, one of the things that uh, I would like to now, you know, touch upon is uh, you explained very beautifully the whole process, the handholding, the initial collaboration, and you brought it to a level where, you know, people can now think about what is your own innovation, as you said, uh, because, you know, you, it's one of the fascinating journeys where you see somebody who is doing high volume manufacturing to pull them towards low volume, because normally it's always the other way around that people want to think about saying, I'll go from low volume to high volume. And in your case, you are going from high volume to then low volume and uh, uh, learning a lot of the new things around reliability and new conditions of op operational environment and so on. But um, after that, you know, can you talk a little bit about how your own experiences after absorbing all the knowledge and uh, you know how your own innovations have come about uh, in making this engine more reliable or manufacturing it to a reasonably uh, better standard or whatever they're, they're, those innovations can be based on your own internal processes and your own internal learning. So what is kind of your innovation on top of what the knowledge in the initial handholding that ISRO has given to you? Yeah, so as I said, uh, say we brought in our expertise in uh, the mass manufacturing. That means if I have to get this part again and again the same way, and that is what they were expecting, it is not only the first time right, but every time right. So uh, I think the kind of tools, jigs, fixtures, what we improved and what we made it. And uh, by making this, the, the, the two advantages, one is that uh, the, uh, the manufacturing of the part becomes easy. But second important part is that when the volume started growing up and when uh, we wanted to have more and more operators to get involved into it. So after having perfected our technology in Toolgix fixtures, then we started looking for how do we start into the automation. So of good fixtures and automation will help us in descaling the requirements and once you have a descaling the multi-scaling becomes easier and when the volumes are going to go up uh, the two cnc machines can give you exactly a repeatable parts but uh, two operators even though they are skilled experienced trained qualified 
getting exact repetition between of them sometimes becomes difficult so the help of the tooling the help of low cost automation that really helped us and now of course we have all those various tools sensors and iot's which can be deployed so that even if two operators are going to do it differently still be as close as like two cnc machines so that was the first expertise we started using it uh, from the godrej side into uh, perfecting this uh, aerospace technology the second important part in any manufacturing is how to really reduce on the non value added activities when you do a research or you always made so that you don't really uh, lose any part and you still have lot of freedom to alter it at a later date but when you are in the serial production assumptions what uh, you started with so we used our uh, good uh, doe the uh, various uh, design of experiments so even though we were not uh, getting into the product layouts but we started optimizing the material movement to very great extent and reduce the material movement by laying up our process layout itself in a better way and making the handling of the components and very easily so that there are no efforts while this because all these parts are very thin and uh, flimsy it's only when your entire assembly is complete and ready it gets some strength and uh, the stability so that was a second aspect we brought in the third aspect is uh, we started our own training center because uh, uh, when it was a small team of about 20 25 uh, engineers and operators it used to be very easy to communicate and train but then later on when the the business volume started growing up the team members started growing up and today we have about 500 of us so how do we really communicate well and how do we really uh, train each other so that my output is somebody's input and there should not be a difference between my output and his input requirements so we started bridging those gaps between the two and uh, effective communication between uh, the two team members of uh, what is required by me like we always say that if i have to weld right i have to set it right but if i have to set it right i have to cut right so it is not only the welder who is responsible for his final uh, weld joint uh, but it is the the first operation when the somebody is going to cut the two parts and somebody who is going to join it together so how do we build that cascading effect of quality from one process to the previous process to its earlier process and to its earlier process so like that we uh, put in lot of efforts to educate each and every one as to your small mistake in cutting can create a havoc when we are at the final stage when we are going to weld it so like this we started using lot of good manufacturing principles and the tools which are available by that time like tpm and then we have the six sigma and then now the lean manufacturing and then uh, the quality function deployment and uh, statistical process controls on the smaller volume how to really do a good statistical process control that was uh, one of our challenge so we changed that particular thing and instead of uh, measuring number of parts we started measuring the parts made on a particular machine or parts made by a particular operator 
a different part it can be a different project for which he is making it but as long as it is on the same machine as long as it is by the same operator whether are we going to get a consistency and then can we have a statistical process control to really monitor and understand that the processes are under control so rather than inspection we started moving back into the basic processes and perfecting those basic processes so that once you have a process under control your quality is automatically going to be assured you don't have to really inspect on to it and this this is the way we started using our expertise from what we learned from various other products and lastly instead of just using this particular technologies the processes what we learned for space and defense we started finding it out can we have some kind of a spin off into the commercial products and if we can do that then i think we'll be able to accelerate because if we produce more parts with using the same process maybe for different applications but that process gets perfected and the whole emphasis was on the process so we had some critical uh, processes like uh, electro polishing very very difficult to monitor and control so we found that uh, such processes extensively can be deployed into man made fiber synthetic uh, rubber and then pulp and paper industries where you have very very sticky materials in which you use it and this electro polishing technology helps you in uh, uh, getting you a non adhesive surface similarly the titanium the inconels what we use the inconels are having very high usage in boilers so we started uh, putting our uh, operators into manufacturing of boilers the titanium is extensively used in desalination plants so all these learnings from isro or from the space programs we use very effectively its spin off of those technologies welding of titanium not very easy but once you do it manufacturing of the desalination plants becomes extremely easy and titanium is the best material for doing desalination plants and we have many examples in india where we have fabricated such uh, desalination plants and more than uh, 250 uh, electro polished reactors for various uh, industries and then uh, the other uh, inconels for boilers and uh, various uh, uh, furnaces and uh, that really helped us that we are not then restricted only to making one or two parts and uh, the welders the fabricators the machinists the inspectors the ndt personnel everybody had then a sizable volume to really work on rather than working on a limited volume and then waiting for the next engine to really get released so that we can work on it and then remember everything and if you don't practice you are tend to lose it lose that skill so if you practice your skills are retained but if you don't practice your skills are likely to get lost so i think this combination of the space and some of the consumer products i would not call it consumer product but a specialized product in the other industries where you can have some volumes and some continuity in work can be maintained so that really helped us it's an excellent example that you talked about the spin offs uh, often very disregarded or uh, not very well credited in uh, many many aspects and not also very well documented in many aspects uh, with respect to how other uh, players are using this uh, so one aspect that is also again interesting is uh, this um, 
scaling up of production that you talked about from one every four or five years to you know 25 a year to possibly you know you said maybe 100 a year in the upcoming years what is the preparedness that is needed and um, the strategy that is needed to meet such volumes yeah so we have taken two major aspects one is that we are now heavily automation is one of our mantras i mean we are trying to find out each and every process so minutely and uh, so perfectly so that uh, the automation becomes easy whether it is uh, machining whether it is assembly whether it is whether it is welding or even if uh, we go for uh, surface treatments and heat treatments everywhere we are looking for opportunity to automate and then second important uh, i think we are started moving now from a process layout to a product layout so these two major changes we are implementing in the last two years we have implemented it uh, very successfully and uh, uh, some of the civil aviation work where the volumes have already been quite large of course now the pandemic has uh, brought down the civil aviation to just 20% of its uh, the peak what we were running it in 2019 and uh, uh, the first quarter of 2020 but we have been very great success in implementing both of them value engineering is the third uh, area which we are starting it now to find out how to really uh, uh, optimize it i mean everything should we start from a rod or should we move to a forging or a closed air forging we move from metal to non metal or should we really uh, deploy the current way of manufacturing or change it so we are moving from conventional 3 axis machine 5 axis to 9 axis to multiple axis machines now so that once you load a part in form of a rod you just keep on finishing the part from both ends other than having multiple setups and then uh, realizing that part so the technology is changing third important part is we are also exploring now uh, the new technologies like 3d printing and then uh, isopropyl uh, forming and then uh, Uh, it's 430 and the impulse forming and there are so many other uh, ways of uh, really uh, getting you a shape you don't have to really everything uh, has to be machined off so you can form it using a sheet metal using the light weighting concepts are being used many times we are using it uh, most of our components from a tube or a pipe rather than making it out of a rod and then saving weight and then uh, saving machining efforts also so like that the newer technologies which are coming up are also being brought in lastly as i mentioned we are also working on iot so in all our uh, fixtures and all our machines and all our uh, uh, various uh, test equipments we have lots of small sensors which keep on capturing very critical data for operator it will be very difficult to do it when he is actually working and the final thing is i think a tremendous emphasis on the focus which we have brought in into the safety a huge huge efforts have been taken up to improve on our safety so every uh, workplace or uh, the work center has been ergonomically designed uh, we have identified all the possible incidences that uh, particular work center can give rise to and how to ensure operator is going to work there 
he should have 100% confidence that he is not going to meet with any accident. So that has given us a huge reliability because otherwise the operator's 50% attention will be to really see to it that he is not going to get hurt or no accidents or incidents is going to happen. So then his focus on the actual process gets reduced. That brings uh, the slowness in operations. So the productivity is lost, the quality you sacrifice. And the operator himself has to be very, very confident that yes, this is a most safe and a, a healthy environment which is given to us. So I think these three, four initiatives are going to take us far, far ahead in the coming days now. Right. And one of the aspects here uh, that is also interesting is um, since you have now, you know, about 30 years almost experience in the entire space uh, related area, is there a possibility that you are looking at end to end design of your own engines and uh, being able to produce uh, all of them by yourself and scaling it uh, towards bigger vehicles or even smaller vehicles? And the second part of this question is uh, you now see also a couple of interesting startups coming out of India uh, where they plan to produce their own uh, launch vehicle as such. Um, I mean, it's ob obviously logical for them to work with you to be able to produce those engines as well. Yeah, so I, I mean, uh, whenever somebody asks me about the startup, I will second question first is, uh, should we really help them? Should we really share our experience with them? So I have my own uh, I mean, analogy towards it or I have my own uh, argument towards it. So even though we have more than 25 success, I mean, today's PSLB, GSLB, various satellites, the ground systems, so many different technologies. So if you really ask me, I will name that we have more than 25 success stories, which everybody should be really proud of. But should I only share with all these uh, startups only these 25 success stories? Or should I share more than 250 the setbacks what we have got in the last 30 years? And these 250 setbacks, I cannot forget. I mean, as I cannot forget the 25 success stories, equally important for us to remember those 250 setbacks also. Because those setbacks have really taught us and made these 25 success stories. Had we not learned I don't think we, we could have achieved one peak, one part, one engine. But like I said, that we have made 150 Vikas flawlessly. Maybe first one or two engines, we had about 2%, 5% rejection. But the last 100 engines, we had practically zero rejection. I'm not claiming zero rejection. I'm saying practically zero rejection. Since we had some rework or maybe uh, one or two components we have lost in that. But that happened only because we learned from those 250 mistakes what we did. Now a startup, if I really bombard him with too much of 250 mistakes, then I don't want him to get discouraged. So what we offer them is that we always share them with this 25 uh, success stories, how it has happened. And we offer them our manufacturing facilities at very, very competitive or almost throwaway prices. So that they should not have one more financial burden for them to carry. And they should really think into the innovation. They should really work on to the, the specifications, the designs. 
and they should not waste their time and energy into manufacturing unless a startup is into new technology itself that he wants to make a 3d printed part then obviously it is a different story he is going to be a manufacturing startup but there are many startups who are coming out with new concepts i mean today we know that why viking engine the europeans have stopped it because the kind of fuel and oxidizer they use it is not at all a green fuel and in fact it has a carcinogenic uh, impact and uh, effects also so now he has to think for a new fuel which will be equivalent to give the same specific uh, impulse the force and uh, time duration for that particular thing and it has to be a green fuel so we don't want to come in their way of thinking a different chemical reaction which will take place and still generate the same thrust but to make that happen if they want any manufacturing help we will not make those 250 mistakes and we will try to give them the first part itself to them to get their concepts tested at ground level so that's the way we work with the start we encourage startups today that they should really uh, think independently and really not come and get uh, biased with our views what we have generated in this organization Uh, going forward i think is going to be a little tough tough in the sense that now for last 30 years we have really done a huge expertise and we have about 150 technologies in the manufacturing area which we have mastered it but even though we have mastered is our task over i don't think as we said that we have started moving from one engine in four years or five years to 25 engines a year and we are looking for 100 engines i think we need to do a quite a lot a huge amount of work to really understand how we bring the entire mass production technology and be competitive finally uh, all that what we are talking in indian space program everything cannot be used only in india we have initially 5 years 10 years definitely we are today falling short of transporters against our requirement of 750 what we are having is only 250 so 500 transponders are required to be built and similarly in every sector not only in communication but in remote sensing in tele education in telemedicine in uh, whatever disaster management everywhere we are going to have this kind of a shortage so scales are going to happen but after 5 years 10 years 20 years this is going to be end so we need to also start developing the export business export market and in if export we are going to be uh, going to enter we have to be really competitive and much higher reliability than what we are having today in india we are also entering into a phase of gaganyaan that means a human in space the quality requirements are going to be three times more stringent when somebody is going to sit inside that particular launch vehicle so we need to learn that so what we are doing in godresh uh, today is that we are really understanding as to if we have to scale by another 3 to 4 times like we have already brought in from 4 years to 1 year and 1 year to 25 engines and now 25 engines going to 200 engines so that scale how do we reach it and by doing that we should not increase our cost we have to be within our cost limit so that the export is feasible or india itself can able to afford this very effectively so that is the first thing the second is the huge experience in manufacturing if we can combine with uh, from build to print as we operate today to build to spec conceptualization what isro is doing today what should be the mission 
I think it's too far away for a manufacturing industry like us. But definitely we can contribute heavily if ISRO comes out and says that now I want instead of uh, 80 ton engine what we are using it today, the Viking engine. I want uh, another engine which is going to be 150 tons or 300 tons or 200 tons. And this is the envelope in which it has to be there. And this is the height and weight of that particular engine should be in my rocket. Then taking from there, I think we can enter from build to print to build to spec. So we have taken up that second aspect from getting into how to scale it up and reduce our cost of production, how to get into build to spec so that we will then start doing detailed engineering. We know how to really select materials. We know how to really tolerance them. We know how to really uh, decide on various shapes and various uh, geometries which are good for manufacturing. We can bring in manufacturability, which most of the designers, because they don't uh, concentrate on the manufacturing, sometimes uh, they lose that concept and uh, uh, design something which is practically not possible to manufacture. And then we have to have a lot of uh, shuffling of uh, drawings between the fabricator and the designer. And something now what ISRO calls that as a concurrent engineering. So when they are on the design board itself, they start sharing those drawings with us and start asking our opinion as to what changes you would be happy in case you want to suggest in this design. And then they evaluate whether these designs can be changed and accepted so that the manufacturability also gets into it. So we are moving from build to print to build to spec. So that is the second aspect which we are doing. Third is, I think, uh, how do we source the material? As I said, the raw material sourcing is done by ISRO today. And the day is not far away when we are going to be asked to source the material. The supply chain is required to be really established. So we have started Godrej Aerospace Cluster, where we have uh, some uh, manufacturers of uh, various materials like steel forgings, castings, and some extrusions, and uh, somebody has a good uh, capability to roll and uh, manufacture those parts. Then we have uh, some specialized uh, processes which are used in this, but they are not required in large numbers. So we have uh, those kind of uh, uh, processes uh, who are part of our cluster. Next, what we have decided is that we will focus on to more of assembly testing and we will uh, farm out as many components as possible. So we have about 25 uh, specialized machinists who have invested into three axes, five axes, nine. Support them in uh, like what ISRO supported us. So we also support them in helping them in the making their investments uh, uh, much uh, easier and uh, give them a long-term projections, give them long-term agreements so that they can get uh, good uh, machines for themselves and we promise them. And, the last effort is on to really setting up uh, huge uh, test facilities, the qualification facilities, so that when we will design, make a build to spec of our own, we should be able to test it. We don't want to go to ISRO as far as possible, except the facilities are going to be very, very expensive. And ISRO is ready to offer those facilities at a very competitive price. But normal vibration, 
acceleration, all those uh, facilities we are investing and learning as to how to really acquire data and from there perfect our designs. So these are the areas in which we are working. Right. So uh, I would love to schedule, uh, you know, an episode maybe in person when I'm visiting India sometime to talk about, especially the uh, the spin-offs that you talked about and the application to the larger societal applications. I think we should do possibly an episode just on that, where you talk about how Godrej has really operationalized a lot of the space technology in other sectors. I would love to do that and meet you in person at that point of time. Uh, but let's say, if, uh, given the paucity of the time, my final question, uh, thank you so much again for taking so much of your time in, uh, in explaining all of this. So the final question I have is uh, mostly towards young people. You think uh, there is uh, reasonable talent available for you to absorb today in Godrej Aerospace to put them into work you know, on the, all of these uh, space-related program or where do you see gaps? Uh, which kind of talent are you looking for and uh, what are the opportunities if uh, people want to join you? Yeah, so we have a, a very ambitious growth plan. So quite a large number of uh, opportunities are coming up and we have been regularly recruiting as we have been regularly investing into our infrastructure. We have created center of excellence in sheet metal. We have created center of excellence in welding. We have created center of excellence in machining. And uh, these are the areas where we do our own research, our own understanding. But of course, in manufacturing to begin with, we are not into the basics. We work with academia quite well, with most of the IITs and engineering colleges in and around Mumbai. And we also work with uh, many of the international uh, uh, such uh, forums where uh, uh, there is a knowledge sharing and uh, I mean, you can really get into, uh, like we have uh, Performance Review Institute, uh, which is, uh, 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 I mean, uh, one of the, our, the, that is the only agency which uh, allocates you a NADCAP accreditation. It's a very specialized certification in aerospace, which is obtained after you get AS9100 certification, which is like ISO for all the special processes. So we are participating in that. And uh, what we do is, uh, uh, I think there is a lot of uh, focus which is required. There is uh, one or two engineering colleges only which are uh, making uh, specific to aerospace. But uh, otherwise, uh, we have uh, quite good mechanical engineers. We have quite good product engineers. We have some good metallurgists. We have some good uh, chemical uh, engineers or the chemists who can understand uh, the various uh, surface treatments and uh, their coatings and their uh, uh, various phenomena, what happens uh, when you want to protect the corrosion. So these are all the disciplines where we really look forward uh, for uh, recruitment. But I think coming with uh, the basic degree in uh, aeronautical engineering will really help us. And not aeronautical engineering in design, but aeronautical engineering in manufacturing. And there are no such uh, institutions which are available. And that is where we work with uh, the academic uh, institutions today and uh, trying to encourage students in their third year and fourth year to really look into the aerospace and take more of uh, their electives and uh, uh, projects and their seminars into the aerospace and uh, we support them. I mean, our uh, facilities are offered to them 
for doing any kind of a practical work or uh, any uh, uh, i mean co guide if they want from industry so that we can bring in our experience and uh, our knowledge to help in making their uh, uh, thesis or their uh, projects that is where we really help and encourage and i think all this will really build a good ecosystem i think what is lagging today is uh, the private pub, uh, public private partnership i mean as you know that uh, the hls and bdls and uh, ebls and uh, all the ordinance factories they have beautiful and nicely developed infrastructure but they have a challenge of their productivities and challenge of their uh, the procurement procedures whereas the private industry can bring it and the combination can really work and similarly the academia and the industry participation and this participation should not be only to give projects to them but to really develop products so what we are focusing with academia is not to develop a process but to develop a product and in that developing the product the academia also should take some kind of a risk share so we are ready to give them the handsome ip uh, uh, rules but at the same time they should also be ready to take a uh, lot of risks which are involved in any development uh, of this aerospace parks right so thank you very much sir for uh, taking so much of your time so uh, i think uh, this is extremely insightful the kind of uh, narrative over 30 years uh, i'm sure that you know people who are listening to the show will appreciate it uh, quite a lot and we would definitely want to do a follow up episode with you just on the spin offs as i said sure i'll be happy to do absolutely so thanks sir thanks a lot have a nice evening thank you thank you thank for you. inviting me today thank you for staying until the end the new space india podcast has recently started a patreon account in order to collect your support to produce a documentary that captures the pioneering work done by many of the generation of scientists during the sarabhai and the satish dhawan era we believe that this will overcome the gap that none of the institutions in india have gone on to create a documentary style space history project that captures both anecdotes and personal history of many of the pioneers of that generation please do check out the patreon account and do consider making a contribution that will help produce this documentary thank you for your contributions